Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. All right, hey, welcome to the podcast. Catholic Stuff You Should Know. We got a uh, ice ball in that bourbon that's blowing up right now <laughs> during the prayer. Something was happening, some kind of Byzantine miracle. <laughs> My- my ice ball is too big, like the, the glass angles down at the bottom, so the ice gla- the ice ball like did not allow the scotch to go down, that's and so funny. it was kind of, as it melted the ice ball, it was kind of trickling down and making weird noises. Very strange. I was like, that's the weirdest ringtone I've ever heard. <laughs> Very well, science this is, experimenty. Uh, Father John and Father Michael, if you survived uh, the last few weeks of uh, uh, global, global invasion <laughs> and you're still listening, uh, we're really grateful for that. So good to be together. We're kind of mixing it up uh, this summer, kind of just doing the... Mix and match, round robin, tourney. Uh, Father Mike flying in, I think, last night. You yeah. never really know. Okay. <laughs> it's usually like a two-week window of when he's going to appear. So. And then he just shows up. And then he'll just show event. up. So, yeah, hopefully in the next few weeks uh, he will arrive at some point. But, yeah, it's, it's really nice to just kind of be mixing it up together and, yeah. uh, and be recording together. So, But I'm a little tired this afternoon because I'm uh, coming off of the, the Pearl Street uh, three-peat. So it's Chilongo Burger at uh, Park Burger. Okay. Sweet cow ice cream, okay, and then a macchiato at uh, steam, and I'm just okay. I'm ready for bed. <laughs> that was so, all today. That was all this afternoon. Oh, nice. I know it was all with the same people actually. Okay. So the Golders from Chattanooga, Tennessee, who brought Amy and Laurel, who are big podcast listeners, and surprised them. So Barb and Steve are friends of mine. They have this cabin down in Telluride. Amazingly generous. A bunch of us have been down there before. We went down there with the companions. Actually, this is okay. Pre Michael Lachlan days, yeah. but. Uh, Surprise these girls, and they kind of freaked out. But they're funny, though. This is what's funny about podcast listeners. Um, they're like, oh, you have a huge following in Chattanooga. And I was like, oh, well, we'll give a shout-out to me. And they're like, who actually does listen still? And I was like, that's right. You know, so these are college kids. So, you know, they kind of don't listen for six months, and then they listen to right, right. binge listen to 60 episodes and you know, Not to Snapchat all their friends and say, we get a shout-out on this next one. Or, right, but it was great to meet them, and uh, we had a great burger and uh, – Sweet Cow, I think I have a problem. This is now Sweet Cow a couple a couple times this week. If you've never been to Denver, Colorado, you've never had Sweet Cow ice cream. Um, you've never lived, What's frankly. your favorite? Uh, I'm so boring. I'm so boring. Okay. I, I just love chocolate chip cookie dough. have since a childhood, so I kind of feel bad going against it. But they had an Ozo Java chip, uh, okay. which has so much coffee in it that uh, Goebel recommended it on Thursday to Sister... Regina Marie, oh. and she didn't sleep until like oh, 2 a.m. No. She doesn't drink coffee. <laughs> so I cannot wait to give Goebel the guilt trip of the lifetime, yeah. <laughs> knowing his scrupulosity around, uh, yeah. That was actually really funny. We walked into Sweet Cow on Thursday. Yeah, Seven religious sisters, handmaids, all in their beautiful habits, um, and then 10 companions. Yeah. And we, we just like filled the place. And those yeah. high school kids were like, what just happened? <laughs> they were like, their heads kept like looking at the door like, what, what? Another collar, another habit? They're like, is this real? I so, walked up to a woman who was in line. I was like, oh, you look in black and white because she was wearing black and white and she just gave me this eye like, that's not even funny. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this eye roll. Well, like, she was on, annoyed. You fit right in. She was annoyed because Goebel was just jawned everybody. It was actually really oh. funny because all the sisters are so meek and they're like, mother, how many scoops should we get to praise <laughs> in praise of the Holy Trinity? <laughs> And they're all like, oh, chocolate chip, please. And the companions are like, Goble, shut up. Get over there. And somebody's like, who's taking me to fraternal group? And everybody's just yelling. And I was like, this is, sums it all up. But then it was great to see them. They were out, the sisters were out visiting from, because um, we sent a tribute to their community, just joking. Becca Messel, uh, the yeah, awkward, right. awkward 
podcast girl from last August <laughs> of happy a fond memory came back after her postulancy year for a home visit and so we got to hang with her and a bunch of the sisters came um, to support her slash supervise her because they know <laughs> they, they grow them a little wilder out here in Colorado yes. so uh, they're uh, there we just have a couple of great communities that we've been friends with you know your community out Pennsylvania Pennsylvania Ohio Ohio yeah, sorry Ohio and uh, these handmaids yeah that's just like you know very edifying and joy-filled when you yes. see religious life lived in its integrity radically but also very humanly it's just there's nothing better that's it's the just, term joy-filled they all are yeah christ the bridegroom handmaids yeah it's incredible young women happy to have their vocations thriving in in the pursuance of the kingdom of god yeah absolutely so it was a it was a great week to have them and they just they just headed out today so we had a big wedding last night uh we've talked about this the last few weeks but uh haley kinney and it's now haley Mathay, and um this is one of those last names it's like a German had an umlaut at some point, but it got kind of changed. <laughs> but I said Mathy like two weeks ago, oh. and she's like, "You cannot get this wrong." And I so I was like, "Mathy, Mathy, 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 Mathy." This is like what's going through my head uh, at the. I don't know if you ever had that before, right when you're about to pronounce them husband and wife. Oh right, and it's like get it right, get it right, get it right. But I write you. it down because I'm so afraid of that happening. I mean, pronunciation is a little bit different, of course. But yeah. like for baptisms and like that, even if I know them very, very well, yeah, it'd be even worse if I forgot the name. Now, don't you love the um, the awkward reception or rehearsal dinner conversations with like super extended family? Because you talk to kind of everybody when the pre shows up at these things. Right, and right. I know you're kind of the master at these, but this guy walks up to me, one of the family members, and he's just like, "Hi, Father. Nice to meet you." I can't stand organized religion, and I was just like, <laughs> "Really? We're gonna lead yep. with that comment?" Yep. And I was like. You can't stand organized religion, huh? And I was like, yeah. He's like, can't stand it. And I was like, what do you think about social religion? Actually, this conversation didn't really happen. It happened in my head about five <laughs> minutes, about an hour after I had right. the, the conversation I had was, oh, cool, nice to meet you. Let's what get another I drink. Said, yeah. This is what I should have said. <laughs> I should have said, what do you think about social religion? And then he would say, well, what does that mean? I was like, non-individual, like sharing your spiritual and religious experience with other people. Yeah. Oh, that sounds cool. And I'd say, have you ever tried to do anything social that's not organized? Right. And he would say, uh, I get what you're saying. And then he would say, baptize me right here. So yeah. but that didn't happen. I just I said, water. let's have another drink. <laughs> and then the next day, he's like, I want to. Uh, he had he had changed his, his oh. uh, tune a little bit. And he was super friendly. He was calling me Padres military guy, which is like the highest compliment I think you can get. Yeah. So yeah. it's funny how uh, we have to kind of endure these crazy comments i think people just i don't think they know what to do or say when they yeah. see us the collar just kind of yeah. freaks everybody out it's yeah. either that or I'm, I'm always surprised i'm glad for it because it does i'd rather have that than a much of small talk and not like even broaching these issues but i find it's either people that come up just militantly anti either anti-catholic or anti-organized religion or they come up and they think like they know as much as we do about it, right. we've been like four years. So they'll say, and they'll just talk about oh, the Catholic Church and this, and they're like, they're like teaching me about yeah. the Catholic faith. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I like your confidence, but if I had to correct everything wrong you said, that this would be a horrible, horrible conversation. Yeah, you know, yeah, that is, uh, yeah, it's. I think you're right. It, a lot of times it's just great when they're either super anti but good hearted, right, or they're just totally like no idea. Like this barista at uh, uh, St. Mark's Coffee Shop, he just was like. What are you? I think I've talked about this on the podcast. Okay. He had no idea. And okay. I was like a Catholic priest. He's like, "What is that?" Yeah, and I was like, "This is awesome." Yeah, like we're yeah starting from nothing. So, 
I think between the awkward family conversations and then the the question of dancing, you know, that's always oh, the yeah. you know Tucker Kinney dragged me onto the dance floor. He kept pick, physically picking me up. He's trained to be a firefighter, <laughs> and I was like, "All right, if Justin Timberlake comes on." <laughs> And sure enough, the next song is Filthy by Justin Timberlake. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So he grabs me, and I was just like, all right, I did my part. But the Seleski sisters had to dance with me, and that's like the eighth corporal work of mercy is like uh, dancing with the priest who dances like a refrigerator. Yeah. So it was a good night. It was a great night overall. But uh, I don't know what your take is on the whole kind of dancing at receptions thing, what you do with that. So. Uh, I, I think that's a, that's a gray area. Like I'll, I'll swing dance all the time. I'll start with my mom. I'll dance with her, even if it's like not swing dance music. I'll dance with my mom, move on to a couple other girls. As long as I like knew it started with my mom. And then, but if it's like any kind of, you know, if it gets moderate at all, I'm just like, I'm just not even going to go there. And so I'll, I'll back out pretty quickly. I'll dance for a while, then I'll back out. Yeah, it was like Cupid Shuffle. All right, this is great. You know, yeah. I just follow along. And then it's like, is it Nelly? It's getting hot in here. Okay. And I was like, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> This is ridiculous. Because, like, I mean, good if, gracious. If it's a big group dancing together, I don't mind that at all. But if it gets it all individual, then yeah, know, then it's then it's I'm over. Playing. I hear you. Well, good. I uh, um, yeah. So happy um, happy married life to here. Let's cheers them, cheers. Haley and Brian. I bring them up not just to fill the banter clock, but because <laughs> Haley um, and Brian both, but um, Haley in particular. I've been walking with her for about five years, and uh, she really is like a spiritual daughter to me. Yeah. And uh, I knew her when she was college, but I realized the power of discipleship mm-hmm. again last night because I saw the effect that this one soul has had on hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. And she's really deepened beautifully over the last five years, much uh, to the neglect and to the malformation of you know my fatherhood. But uh, I've been amazed with just how deepened she is. And but then also how profoundly her witnesses because mm-hmm. she's got a lot of secular friends, a lot of Protestant friends, a lot of fallen away Catholic family, and it was just kind of amazing. She's marrying a Lutheran, so yeah. that whole family, you know, uh, was there, and they were super gracious, like really great conversations with them. But uh, interesting just to see like the effect that she's having in the world, and I was yeah. just reminded of how beautiful the lay lay vocation is, and really our job is just to support and let. Haley do her thing or you know our other friends do do their thing in the world and that is the greatest proof of leadership or fatherhood I think is seeing the next generation if you will continue to bear fruit I mean I know focus is all about this that's kind of how they right. how they test their their effectiveness or their ministry but that is something absolutely beautiful to see that working um I know my parents you know like it's easy enough to say, well, we did something right with our kids. But when you see the grandkids being raised by them in a way that is beautiful and healthy, holy, pursuing the faith, you know, pursuing healthy maturity. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't. My mom cries every time she hangs out with the grandkids. It's like she's just so incredibly proud yeah. of, of everything. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's, uh, it's an experience of, I think, spiritual fruitfulness for us to be like, this is so much better, you know than what we could ever do. And yeah. it's just you watch this thing kind of unfold. Yeah. I just am realizing more and more that I don't think that God works in individual salvation in the sense of he's not concerned with saving individuals. He's, he's concerned with saving the world. Right. And he does that through, I think, clumps. He grabs us in clusters. Yeah. Constellations, that's both. Sorry, yeah. it's a great word, you know. Um, and I was just thinking about that. We kind of just get drawn into these nets yeah. together. I look, at the, I look at the scriptures. You have, you have uh, Zacchaeus. In the tree whose whole family was saved, you have the centurion whose whole family was saved. You have so many times that his entire families are saved. You know, the the, the guard that when Paul got out of prison and saved the guy's life, you know, 
a lot of these things are like, yeah, I mean, even baptism was happening in clumps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Constellations. Yeah. So when we think about fatherhood, you know, um, which is what we're, I want to talk about today um, in honor of Father's Day, which is approaching, and us being spiritual fathers and talk a little bit about our dads uh, as well, honor them. Um, yeah, keep keeping that in mind, you know, that the that God is using fatherhood for the salvation of the world. It's not just this kind of cool experience that we get right. to have. And that he's doing it in kind of mysterious ways and kind of, yeah, it's not just about our individual particular relationships. Though what makes fatherhood really special is the particularity of the relationship. Right. I think both physically and spiritually. Yeah. And you and I uh, certainly with the other companions have experienced that. And so Haley, yesterday I was kind of reflecting on that and just what an honor it was to preach her wedding and uh, but just to be a father, you know. And yeah. it's different because we're friends and we're kind of brothers and it's you know we're young. But there's a real profound fatherhood that happens in the liturgy, especially I think, and you're preaching and you're you're able to kind of really speak with the authority of yeah. a father. So I'm thinking about fatherhood. I'm thinking about my dad who had a stroke, who's teaching me about fatherhood in a very different way in the midst of his kind of uh, rehabilitation and uh, handicap now. Um, and so today I want to just point bring up three points um, on fatherhood. This is looking very official because I have a printed <laughs> handout. Oh, so you have footnotes and everything. It looks like I know. No, else? it's. Uh, oh, okay. I basically just threw a bunch of things on a sheet of paper oh, okay. to impress you. It's a nice um, font, though. It's a very oh, it's very soothing. Font. Yeah, <laughs> Garamond Premier Pro. I'm okay. a font snob, <laughs> self-professed. I'll never change. Nice Garamond. Not just Garamond. Garamond Premier Pro. That's what you need. Thanks okay. to Father Peter Mustard for I'll that one. So there you go. So I want to talk about fatherhood as source, fatherhood and limitations. And fatherhood as adventure. So okay. source, limits, and adventure. And I'm basically just taking three different quotes that I found, and just we're just going to kind of riff on this for a few Absolutely. minutes. Does that sound good? Amen, yeah. So um, fatherhood as source. came across this cool, um, cool little play, short play by John Paul II called The Radiation of Fatherhood. Have you ever seen this before? No. Take a look at that. Uh-huh. Um so this was written in 1964 by uh, St. John Paul II at the time, Cardinal Wojtyla, who would have been a bishop. I'm trying to think if he was, I think he was probably just an auxiliary bishop in 64. Mm. I can't wow. remember. But um, this is a really interesting little meditation on uh, man and woman in the beginning, but especially on fatherhood, uh, Adam's fatherhood, and uh, how it plays out in his encounter with woman and the possibility of fatherhood and the way that that fatherhood speaks into loneliness the kind of the primordial existential loneliness that we see before the creation of woman and the yeah. helpmate and these things. And so it's a really, really interesting um, meditation. Unfortunately, I mean, it could be a whole podcast on this thing, but I was just starting to look at it and I actually haven't finished it. So uh, we're going to have to kind of touch on it briefly. But the first thing is just to say shout out to Alfonso Pinto. Do you know Alfonso Pinto? So I got to show you our conversation over Facebook. Okay, yeah. I, I, I talked about him. He, he came to a, like a noon liturgy one day. Yeah. And so I, uh, so, and I was talking, like building up everybody, because there was like maybe 10 people there. And it, they, were, they were all like, had very like, they were holding kids or something extremely vocation. And I was like, and Alfonso, I was like, I've heard your name more yeah. times this yeah. past week there because Father John Neppel loves you. And yeah. he's like, so he, we, and we've got this big Facebook conversation recently because, yeah, I know he comes to my parish quite often. So. He's uh, he's our, the new rock star here in town. He's been here for three yeah. years, but we just I just discovered him. But I say that because we were having drinks last week and he said uh, something great. And I was like, I love this guy because he said, I don't like going to these academic conferences. Everybody takes themselves too seriously. <laughs> you do theology and then you go to the opera. 
That's nice. what he said. You go to the opera. Nice. And I was thinking about, as I was reading John Paul today in this dramatic um, theater form, hmm. there's something about this, kind of the freshness of like, it just brings it to life again. Yeah. It brings ideas back to life. It kind of throws it back into story, back into kind of a dynamism, hmm. which is there in the dramatic. And this is obviously Balthazar loves this stuff. He wrote the five volumes of the Theodrama. Um, but I was just thinking about him, you know, just kind of thinking about fatherhood first in a dramatic form. So what does fatherhood look like when it's played out in a lived way? And what does it mean to be source? Well, of course, the fathers of the church talk about um, the father as the the font, right? Or the source of the Godhead. And this is especially focused on in the East um, and and really, really important. And it sounds really weird, you know, that the Trinity has its source in the father, you know. But this is absolutely, you know, trying to think of the Greek, the right Greek word, uh, mono, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 not only true, but it's, it's so beautiful to say that, you know, there's an intentionality to it. Like God the Father willfully decided, if you can use that term, to exist as Trinity from all eternity. It wasn't just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all of a sudden found themselves existing. Like, right. oh, I guess these are my two right. buds. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Like, like this is an intentional community, and the source is the Father who's going to continue to to send these two beloved persons and share them even further. Right, and so, yeah, I mean, crash course Trinitarian theology here. The Son, the second person of the Trinity, is eternally begotten by the Father, right? right? But and the, and the Holy Spirit is the eternal spiration, so it's the love of the Father and the Son and that's eternally uh, pouring forth and manifesting. So it's this perfect exchange of love, and it's eternal, and this is the mystery, mm-hmm. but the origin is the Father. Right. The Father is the one who initiates the love, so to yeah. speak. There's debate about the Holy Spirit within what you just said. I know, sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I just want to throw that out there. People can do the research on their own. I won't talk about it, but yeah. Right, sorry. That was kind of just really quick. No, but, <laughs> no uh, worries. But this eternal begetting and this eternal spiration mm-hmm. becomes the this um, the two processions that kind of flow into history. But the, the origin is the Father. And so the point of it is to say, God the Father is not just this kind of well, first off, it's not just this kind of, you know, um, patriarchal thing that we've applied to God, which right. is still being kind of unmasked by the feminist agenda, and it's, it's okay. There's something deep, deep, deep at the very heart of the Trinity, at the mm-hmm. very heart of the God's self-disclosure, is the fatherhood and the Father himself, the person of the Father, of God the Father. And he's the source and the font of everything. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about fatherhood, we begin there. He's the source. Just like um, fatherhood in its created form, our dads, and in a spiritual way, what we're, we're partaking in, reflects that. Mm-hmm. There's a source. There's an origin. And I think what happens if you're raised without a father is that you get displaced from that source, yeah, with that origin. And it's not to say that you can't experience fatherhood um, from other men or from God the Father himself through grace, but it's just to say that in the natural realm, the, the, the normative experience is that the father provides the source and the origin of whereby one finds one's existence. Yeah. And I guess you always have the source in one sense. The, I mean, as you need a father, whether it's through a sperm donation or something to, right. to provide that. But the, uh, but I don't think there's anything wrong with saying exactly that. Like for those of us that don't have the, the ordinary situation of growing up with a father, um, God works in very unique ways to provide them with something similar um, that, that that is as fulfilling, but it, th- there is still a lack there, yeah. and that should be acknowledged. Yeah, grace always uh, does two things. It, it heals nature, yeah. 
and it elevates it. But yeah. it's important to remember that if you're, you know, if you didn't grow up with a father and you're saying, well, you know, thanks a lot, Father John, for talking <laughs> about this. But it's like, no, grace does heal. Yes. It heals nature. And so uh, we don't have to be afraid of that, you know, and God will provide tremendous graces uh, in that situation. But fatherhood gives a source. And I was thinking about this. I was like, you know, and I might have talked about this in previous podcasts. It's all kind of recycled at this point. Um, but I think that when I look at the Trinity and I look at my parents, I think my father unifies my life mm. and my mother makes my life relational. Mm. She is pure relation. Mm. And she teaches me how to be in relation. Women teach us how to be in relation. I'm sorry, what was your father again? Unity. Unity. He okay. unifies and simplifies. Right. Okay. And he kind of brings everything back to the source. For okay. Me. So when I talk to him, it's just kind of like, I don't know. Mom, it's just empathy and it's all relationship and... Mm. And it's beautiful in a totally different way. But right. there's something about dad that just says, brings it back to its source. Yeah. Did you ever see the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Yes. Okay, there's that ago. scene when he's a little boy and uh, George is in the, I don't know, the pharmacy office and the pharmacist is taking pills and mixes something up. And it, oh. there's a sign on the door that says, you know, when in doubt, go to dad or something like this. Somebody's mm-hmm. going to know that quote and change it. But yeah. I've always thought about that. If just like, and he runs to his dad mm-hmm. in the bank and it's like that kind of thing. Like it just, it's not the dad always has the answer, but it's just kind of simplifies, organizes, and it unites the mm. fragmentation of life. This mm. is what a father does. Okay. He helps us to kind of pull the threads and the diaspora, you know, everything kind of going into diaspora, all the different fragments of life, which happens naturally, kind of pulls it all back mm. into unity, I think. Yeah, I like that. And women are not afraid of the fragments. They're not afraid of the kind of the, because they see relation more clearly mm-hmm. and that's why there's such a complimentary thing this is like all nepal theology so feel free to say this is ridiculous you know <laughs> i'm drawing it here but i i just it's kind of an existential way of thinking about how unity and relation play out yeah. in men and women you you got me thinking i mean i i need to think about how that relates with my own mother and father how it relates to my own fatherhood um but yeah thank you for that yeah again just dropping this stuff waitiwa's thing is all about the radiation of fatherhood so that's the name of the um the name of the uh what do we got here the play and uh, there's this one line, it's one chapter actually, it says, Father, be my way, be my source. Hmm. And uh, it's Adam kind of crying out to the Father and saying, um, I'm faced, I'm, I'm kind of lost in this loneliness, uh, this existential loneliness, and I'm faced with the possibility of fatherhood, but I'm terrified of that possibility. Hmm. And it's, that's the whole struggle that's playing out. And it's about how is the radiation, how is the Father, the Divine Father, God the Father, radiating out through Adam, the spiritual father of mankind, but also or the the, the father of mankind, but then also the, especially the son, yeah. the spiritual father of mankind. So that's okay. kind of the, the dynamism and the interplay. So, okay, so dad unites, dad draws us back to the source, dad kind of pulls everything together. That's number one. So thanks to our dads for doing that. Appreciate yes. that. Number two, limitation. This is an interesting one. Now I'm going to take two different quotes that I heard two different guys say, one of which is my favorite professor in Rome is named Giulio Maspero, who I've talked about before. And then the other one is our very own Father Brady Wagner. Nice. Moderator of the Companions. Moderator of the Companions. Not a listener of the podcast, (laughs) but we love him anyways. So Maspero, I was in class, this was Trinity class, and he was talking about fatherhood, and I I like his style. He just, he's like, I don't know, it's hard to describe him, but he's just amazingly captivating as a Mm -hmm. teacher. And he had this great line. He said, The Father helps us to understand our limitations and to find meaning in them. The Father helps us to, find, to understand our limitations and to find meaning in them. 
and his own limits point to the fatherhood of God. Hmm. So what does a father do? Well, he doesn't just unite and kind of simplify and organize the life, but he actually helps us to embrace the limitations of our own existence and to find meaning in them and to permit us, secondly, to permit us to see his own limitations, which points back to the Father, right, mm-hmm. to God the Father. Right. I think about growing up playing hockey with some of these guys, and the dads were just, like, pushing them hard, hard, right. hard, you know. Um, I could name guys, and, you know, it's just like, you're going to be the next, I don't know. At the time, it was Wayne Gretzky. Now it's, you yeah. know, <laughs> whoever's playing for Las Vegas's team in the Stanley Cup. That just doesn't make any <laughs> sense at all that Vegas is a team, but we'll root for the Capitals. Um <laughs> because of Steve Walsh. Um, the, uh, and so, but what were they doing? They were saying, you have no limitations. You're going to be the next Wayne Gretzky. Hmm. You're, and they put all this pressure on the kid yeah. to say, you got to be the best of the best. You're going to be this. You're going to be the doctor. You're going to be this. And I think it's crushing to the child hmm. because they actually want someone not to say you're limited, but just to kind of when the acknowledgement of like, huh, I haven't scored a goal in like five years. Maybe I'm not going to the NHL. Mm. It's like, yeah, that's okay. (laughs) Because your dignity doesn't lie in the fact that you score or don't score. But I was just really struck by that. And when when Maspero said that, I wrote that in uh, our paragraph in the rule on, um, um, I think it's like rule or paragraph number 30 maybe on spiritual fatherhood Mm. in the companions. And I've been reflecting on it. It's just like, because a lot of times as spiritual fathers, people come to us with the experience of their limitations. And the Mm. question is, what do we do with that? Do we just say, here's how you become more awesome? Jesus wants you to be more awesome. And so get your act together and go be more awesome and yeah. be more virtuous and be more perfect and fix all your relationships and everything will be fine. And then you go to heaven. Is that what fatherhood is? I don't think so. But it's also not while, you know, just kind of collapsing in defeatism and saying, well, we're all miserable anyways and here, have another drink. Change, yeah. There's something about just when you are broken that the father says, we can acknowledge your limitations together, and I, yeah. I receive them in love, and we're going to look for the meaning in that limitation. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I. It's interesting what that limitation is. Obviously, Christ manifests incredible weakness. You know, I don't know if I'd call it limitations, but a, a weakness that was embraced, uh, carried, beloved. Um, you know, I, I, I'm always in awe about when when does a father choose to reveal his weaknesses to his children? Yeah. You know, because th- there is that at some point when you're little, you know, you 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 kind of need to, in order to mature to see your father as kind of a superman. You know, yeah. but that changes at some point, of course, when when the weaknesses actually build you up. Because I think that's what it is. You you see that. I mean, I, it annoys me more than anything in politics. Not anything, but it annoys me a lot in politics when you when they use this language of when I'm president. You know when I'm governor, and there's this—it's seen as a virtue, this kind of confidence in that, and and the same thing happens in sports. You know, you know, I, I am the greatest, of course. I'm. You know, I've heard interviewers ask, you know, uh, running backs and wide receivers in football. You know, oh, somebody called you the greatest. Well, of course I am. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, if if that's what you're seeing, and then you tell that, teach that to your children, I would say the the a major point in leadership is what to do when you fail. In other words, you might not have failed yet, and God bless you if you haven't when you're little, but when you do, that's what a father should say. I've been through a lot of failures, bud. You know, right, he, right. here's what I do with it, and here's how I continue to grow. Right. I think that the, uh, um, yeah, what you're saying about Christ is that, yeah, okay, so he's the second person of the Trinity, and uh, there's no limitation there. But he does, he does limit himself, so to mm-hmm. speak. In the incarnation, by choice, yeah. In the in the kenosis of the incarnation, of like, 
he limits himself uh, significantly. And, and we look at the way that he's interacting to the Father just in his humanity, mm-hmm. and, in, and uh, we see that, you know, the struggles to kind of find the meaning in the students, but he's always pointing back to the Father. Yeah. Christ is always speaking to the Father about the Father. Everything. And we've been reading John through Easter. Have you guys been reading John through Easter? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. And it's everything. It's just the Father. Everything's about the Father. Yeah. But it's, it's in the experience of uh, limitation of his incarnation, and then especially in his Paschal mystery that he reveals the great significance of this created limitation that we experience and that that Christ uh, discloses the fullness of the Trinity in. So I find it to be very freeing yeah. because I think I put a lot of pressure on, uh, I feel like I put a lot of pressure on myself and maybe on the people that I love, the spiritual children that we're given, to think we got to fix these things. Yeah. We got to fix these relationships. We got to make the world a better place. We got to make the church more whatever. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think a lot of it is just what does love actually look like? And it's a lot of times just that kind of humble acknowledgement. Yeah. And our dads are uh, have suffered, you know. Mine more recently with his stroke, and your dad has had serious heart, health issues. A couple heart attacks, yeah. I mean, serious stuff. And Matt Book and I went out for dinner. Matt, Father Matt Book's dad died in February. And he says... You know, it's it's a it's a definitive point in our life as men when dad's no longer the strong man. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, it it rocks your whole world. Yeah, because dad's the strong one. He's always, at least for us, it's like yeah. he's the strong one. Matt's dad was a boxer. Our dads were military. It's like yeah. these are men. They're real men, and they're weak now. They're yeah. really broken by suffering. Yeah, um, they're they're and, physically weak, but I think that the like you said earlier. It, it, you have to find when your dad is sick, you have to find, he has to find ways that, that his leadership and strength is manifested in, in deeper ways. And then we need to acknowledge that as well. Right. I mean, I have, I've told it before. I had a friend who, who was wife was pregnant with their fifth. He got hit by a train, you know, brain, body, everything was messed up forever. And it's, and it was really hard for him to, to, to say, you know, to ask his wife and his kids, like, how do I lead you now? He was yeah. a strong man, yeah. smart man. Now yeah. everything changed. Like, like, how do I? What does strength look like for me now? Look, look to the cross, you know. But what, what what does strength look like to someone who's suffering and cannot be strong in the same way they used to be strong? Right. But it's still there. The strength is still there. It just is going to be deeper. It's going to look different. But I honestly think it's more it's more effective. Like when when our bodies start to go, I just turned forty. I have <laughs> upper and lower back problems. Right. It's like as my as I start to see my body go a little bit, I'm like. I preached on this years ago. I said, really, our spirit should grow at the same pace that our body weakens. Interesting. So that at the so that as as our body weakens, our spirit will say, it's getting weaker because you don't need it anymore. When you were young, you needed it to, to be to be physically active for your job. To look back to caveman days, you know, you needed to attract a mate. You know, you needed youth and vigor and charm. All these things when you're young because it made sense to life. As you grow older and you're starting to rest in those physical things because you have help and have children, grandkids, whatever, your body can go and your spirit becomes what's strong. Right, you know, right. and and it almost you, you say I don't need the body anymore. That was that was good to have a strong youthful body when I had it. Now I don't need it anymore because I've grown in maturity of the spirit. And so I can say, that's not what's important anymore. My role for those who love me, those who I lead, is no longer a physical role. It's becoming more of a, a mental, spiritual role. That's right. An excellent apologetic for the dad bod. Yeah, exactly. Which seems to be the, the, <laughs> the norm- theology of the dad body. The theology of the dad bod. <laughs> the, the normative, I do think that's fine. I mean, just making fun of dad bods, but uh, <laughs> that is kind of true. And even when women, 
younger women are, are seeing that it's like there's something about just the self gift and the yeah. of the donation of kind of like well yeah. I used to be kind of ripped and now you're just you know dad bod yeah. um, but yeah the the growth of the spirit and then the the deepening of fatherhood mm. like it's going back to Voitiwa's image it's a new radiation of the fatherhood you know it's a deeper thing spiritual fatherhood is deeper than than just physical fatherhood mm. because um, physical fatherhood generates life spiritual fatherhood educates life mm. so it's generation and education that's what fathers do right. generate us they create us and then they educate us and mm. I think that the education is the deepest the deeper form and that comes with suffering usually yeah. and it usually comes with the kind of the death of of one's ego of one's power and these things and I think that our fathers are leading our families in really unique ways now and in even more powerful ways. Mm-hmm. And they're forming, they're teaching your family, your brothers, especially how to be fathers, those who yeah. have, do they all have kids? Yep. Yeah, so they're they're seeing that, and he's not even saying anything, you know? Right. And my dad's not saying anything to me. He, he wouldn't even, he'd be totally zoned out if he was listening to this podcast because yeah. he doesn't have attention. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like, <laughs> neither does the rest of our family, but he actually has a brain injury <laughs> to explain why he has uh, doesn't have attention. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't be able to articulate these things, but I'm like, I've learned more about fatherhood in the last month yeah. from just watching him. Um, and it's really, it's hard to explain. Well, a major part of Christianity is, is the the giving over of control, like surrender. And I think that's what, in a sense, I mean, I see it with my own parents going from having raising children to kind of helping with grandkids. You have a lot more control over your own children than you do right. over your grandkids. Like I said to you guys earlier, my mom, she, she told my her her kids, please do not say you're not getting dessert if you don't finish your dinner. Like give, do a different punishment because dessert is my love language. My right, mom says, right. so like I, I want to be able to, I want my grandkids to eat, to be able to eat my dessert and I don't want that to be a punishment. So punish them with something There's else, something time else. out, yeah, something else, yeah, just not yeah, with dessert. Yeah. And I think my, my poor mom, she's, she's at, she's, She's loving as a mother and a grandmother, but she's it's harder to love when you don't have the control. Right. You don't have the control with your grandkids. Like maybe that's what we're seeing with our spiritual father too. Like what you know, they they leave the nest in a sense. They they get married. They start having kids, and then there is this like I can't father them in the same way. But it actually needs to go deeper and more surrender to God because I don't have the same control yeah, anymore. That's it, and that's actually a great lead into Father Brady's point, which he said to me. He won't remember it. I can talk about it. I was okay. in confession with him as <laughs> nice. a penitent, nice. and this was like a, he just drops these gems. It's mm-hmm. like, the guy is just like, like what world are you living in? This is amazing. <laughs> nice. If I could one time say something this profound to any penitent, it'd be a miracle, mm-hmm. but he said, it was the Feast of St. Joseph. I don't know when this was, and we were reflecting, and he tied in what I was talking about, which is some of the stuff today we're talking about with St. Joseph, and he said, one of the greatest acts of a father is to allow himself to suffer his inability to provide hmm. yeah and he exactly. he was pointing to joseph and joseph look at his life he has no idea what's going on when mary gets pregnant yeah and then he is led into the desert he's he's it's completely completely precarious yeah and then he's kind of working and then at some point he dies and leaves his son with his mother yeah and is not there for the rest of his life and for the definitive climax of Christ's life, yeah. which is the Paschal Mystery. Joseph doesn't provide for the yeah. Holy Family, and he has to suffer the inability to provide that. And I thought, whoa, Brady, that was like, <laughs> that was some deep stuff, man. Uh, and I've been thinking about it for about the last year or whatever it was since the Feast of St. Joseph. The, uh, um, so yeah, the father has to suffer his inability to provide. Uh, we cannot 
and this goes back to our own limitations that Maspero was talking about. If the if the child doesn't experience the father's limitations again properly, you know, in a, mm-hmm. in a place of maturity, right? Then, um, then they'll never be led back to the fatherhood of God yeah. to see it as a participatory, and the temptation will be, of course, to idolize the the fatherhood, the created fatherhood, and to yeah. make it make it uh, God or to scorn it completely. Yeah. You know, I just had a very pious, um, interesting meditation. Uh, one time Father Brian Larkin gave me in confession, um, it was right after Easter, and he said, you know, just I want you to meditate for like five minutes on the on Christ's first breath after he rose, like that, that first human breath. And it was it was it was kinda like a oh my gosh, I'd never really gotten meditated on that before, but this is similar like imagine when, you know, Joseph dies in a sense has to give up, surrender the care of his his wife and, and you know, foster child to others. And to God, of course, but then as soon as Christ dies and rises, he now has intercessory power <laughs> over his wife again in a way he never did. Yeah, because he's in heaven now. He's a uh, you know he, he's able to intercede for her in a way that he wasn't in those intervening years between after he died but before the death and resurrection of Christ, right. which allowed that intercession. So yeah. anyway, yeah, that's interesting. So I think that Joseph becomes a model for us of of an intercessor, spiritual intercession, and then the embrace of uh, powerlessness yeah. that comes with fatherhood. Yeah. And the last thing, this is just a final caveat, and maybe this will speak for somebody out there. Um, I think every father experiences the scorning of his own fatherhood at mm. some point from the daughter or son. Right. And that's one of the greatest and most heroic moments in the life of a father. Mm. I think that's very, very important because it, you feel like you just failed. Yeah. And your son or your daughter has scorned you, rejected you, hates you, yeah. doesn't want you to be the father, yeah. doesn't want anything to do with you. And it's not just teenagers, it's, this is through life, right? Sometimes things, these things surface later on. And so I think uh, one of the great limitations, that well, one of the ways that we feel our limitations as fathers is, is those moments of being scorned, even unjustly, yeah. and having to suffer that. And it's really painful. Yeah. And I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but... It happens, it's and very Christ-like too. And it is. Yeah. It's it's one of I think one of the most beautiful and powerful uh, moments that we have as fathers in our life. So I just, yeah. if there's somebody out there listening who's kind of going through that, maybe that was for you. So, okay, number three, real quick, and then we're done. Okay, all right. Fatherhood as adventure. This is one of the best quotes I've ever heard on fatherhood. It's from Charles Piggy, the mm. French poet. Yep, and ex-communist. You know Piggy? I, I, I think I know about him because of you, actually. Not enough of his stuff is translated. I don't know where I came across this quote, and I got to quit doing that. I quoted something from the Buddha like two weeks ago, and this guy's like, <laughs> where's that from? And I was like, Gronsky? <laughs> He's dead. I can't ask him uh, where he got that from. But we're going to start fact-checking uh, fact and getting our sources here, but not today. So this is from Charles Piggy. So he says this. There's only one adventurer in the world, as can be seen very clearly in the modern world, the father of the family. Even the most desperate adventurers are nothing compared with him. Everything in the modern world, even and perhaps most of all contempt, is organized against that fool, that imprudent, daring fool, against the unruly, audacious man who is daring enough to have a wife and family. Everything is against him savagely organized against him. Everything turns and combines against him. Men, events, the events of society, the automatic play of economic laws, and, in short, everything else. Hmm. Everything is against the father of a family, the pater familias, 
and consequently against the family. He alone is literally engaged in the world in the age. He alone is the adventurer. The rest are at most engaged with their heads, which is nothing. He is engaged with all his limbs. The rest suffer for themselves in the first degree. He alone suffers through others. Wow. Charles Piggy. Wow. So fathers, the father, especially the physical father he's talking about here, is, is the great adventure of the modern world. And I love this. I love the way this image because... Especially in Colorado, we live in a, it's an adventure junkie culture here. We just love outdoors. We love adventure. I love adventure. But what I find was, what I found was all of that adventure that I was seeking before returning to Christ and especially before becoming a father, it was nothing compared to the joy of bringing spiritual children Hmm. on those adventures. Yeah. There's a great documentary on uh, the musician Josh Garrels, where he, mm. he just has this one line where he just says, um, after you have kids, you can do everything that you did before. It's just a little harder. Yeah. And I think that's like a beautiful line, is that not only is spiritual fruitfulness and generating new life and having children and surrendering your autonomy of doing whatever you want and going to Park Burger and then Sweet Cow, and then yeah. all of a sudden you get to do that with children and it becomes an adventure unlike anything yeah. else. Yeah. It just it takes it to a completely different level. And I think any father of children who's listening to this it says, absolutely, I know that my siblings have all gone through this, and I'm sure yours mm-hmm. have as well, yeah. that every all of the great adventures, um, I've done climbing in on three different continents, and uh, I've had opportunities to, to travel all over the world. None of those adventures uh, pale in comparison to being here and having a cup of coffee and talking yeah. about life with a spiritual son or daughter going yeah. for a bike ride in this neighborhood. I mean, I just, I long for the adventure of everything we've talked about, allowing the radiation of the fatherhood of God to enter into our lives, the the great drama of limitations and suffering, even of being scorned uh, for it, the great failures that we bring to it, but also the joys and the successes. All of this gets wrapped into the ultimate adventure. And it's so sad to watch so many couples and so many men kind of grasp in fear at the yeah. pathetic, individualistic, immature adventures and conscious up their life. Yeah. And that's the most of the world now. Yeah. And I think that uh, Piggy's line is that this is the only adventure left for the man mm. is to be a father. Yeah. There's the, the world is finite, measurable, you know, and, and we will always pursue that with adventure, but the human heart, since God dwells there, is absolutely infinite. And so one one human heart, whether it's our own in celibacy and monasticism, where we're we're kind of plying the depths of in an in adventure of God's relationship with us and how he dwells in our heart. And if we purify our heart, we will see him, you know, but when you we have always had that experience and it comes pretty natural to us because we're human we're individual and we tend to be selfish. We're kind of always looking at our own heart, but um, to be able to to see that in another human being and to kind of have them open up that the depths of, of that infinite adventure that is the human heart because God dwells there and God himself is infinite. I mean, I, I, you hear these, you read these desert fathers who went off in the, in the fourth century into the desert and just kind of spent with no luxuries in the desert, just meditating, and they found God in their heart, and they were never bored. But the father finds that in another heart as well, in the, the heart of his child. And and you know, the, you a father 
I know I'm romanticizing this, but a father in a sense, even though, thank God, he usually doesn't have to give up everything for his child. I think if we understood how much adventure there was in the heart of one child, we would give up everything for that, you know? Mm-hmm. And in many ways, fathers do, in many ways we do, you know, as spiritual fathers. But there, there should be willingness and adventure to say, there's as much an adventure. I said this to a parishioner. They said, you know, would you want to be the chaplain for FNE, you know, the, the scouting troop? And I said, I said, honestly, I know there's so much adventure in the scouting going out in the woods, but but if I took a 10-day vacation and wanted to go on an adventure, I would love to go out in the woods, of course, but I would love even more to just like go into the, an inner city and just be blown away in awe of like personalities, how people interact and just like meet a lot of people in a very short, short span of time. Mm-hmm. Cause it, it is the human heart is the greatest adventure. And when that's your own, a heart you generated and a heart you educated, like you said earlier, it's even more of an honor and an adventure to, to search it out and to find joy in it. Yeah. yeah. And fathers, don't be afraid to, um, to just bring your kids along into your heart. Yeah. One of my greatest memories of growing up is that my mom was working and my dad didn't know what to do with us, but we had a new minivan, okay. like the wood panel on the side. <laughs> nice. My dad loves root beer floats. It's okay. like one of his favorite things. And we just drove to Wisconsin because there was no Aiden W. root beer in Chicago. Just drove up there. It was like three hours. Had an Aiden W. root beer, drove back. <laughs> That's one of the most distinctive memories of my childhood. <laughs> Why? Awesome. Because dad loves A&W root beers yeah. and we're getting root beer with dad. Okay. We're getting root beer floats with dad. Yeah. So yeah, the infinite... Like that saying, like the infinite adventure of the heart is where your child longs to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, fathers, that's where you that's where you bring them, and that's where you also rediscover yourself. And lastly, just to conclude, a line from John Paul II, kind of tying into something you said a little earlier. Uh, this is in the in the play Radiation of Fatherhood. He says, "After a long time, I came to understand that you do not want me to be a father unless I become a child. That is why your son came into the world." I came, a lo- after a long time, I came to understand that you do not want me to be a, a father unless I become a child. This Everything, is Adam speaking to God? This is Adam speaking to okay. God. Everything returns back to God the Father, mm. right, to the source of everything. And uh, our ability to be fathers is always completely and entirely founded on our ability to be sons yeah. of the Eternal Father, yeah. which means being and entering into the one Son, the only begotten Son of Jesus, and that means finding and locating ourselves in Christ and in doing so finding ourselves as adopted but real sons of God the Father. And I think that reveals also the the, the evil of what you were talking about earlier when the fathers have when fathers belittle their children for weakness. Because I think when Christ was weak, who did he where did he go? To his father. Like, when we are weak, where should we go? We should be able to go to our, our Father when we are weak. It's very Christ-like to do that. And the Father should be the one to say, I, I, can, I can empower your weaknesses to become strengths. That's what a father does. And if a child is ever afraid of going to his father in their weakness, then that's, that's a major hit against their fatherhood. And so fathers that are listening, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, you know, it should be, we should be able to strengthen our children, encourage them towards strength, but also make sure that, that we can strengthen them and empower them in their weakness and that nobody's afraid to come to us as fathers because they're weak. And, and if, if they are, then we got some repenting and, and some changing to do. And maybe even showing our own weaknesses is, is, is part of that, you know, being vulnerable to them, then they'll realize, you know, this guy knows how to be vulnerable. So when I'm weak and I want to become vulnerable and, and surrender that, where do I go? Go to my father. Amen. Well, let's raise a glass. Yes. And toast first to our spiritual children in gratitude for their patience. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. 
and, uh, and their love, which I think has uh, continues to generate new life within us. Yeah. To our fathers, our yes. physical fathers and our yes. spiritual fathers. Absolutely. Um, but especially thinking of, of our dads today. In yeah. their suffering, witnessing us the beauty of powerless love and of deeper, more profound forms of fatherhood, and especially to God the Father on this Father's Day, which approaches in just a few days. Amen. Cheers. Cheers. Slancha. Slancha. Shout outs. Uh, I'll I'll just keep it simple. I recorded so recently. Yeah, you, you're <laughs> I got around, all my other ones, yeah. but um, but yeah, shout out to my dad, my spiritual father, Father Robert Pipta. Uh, shout out to my old spiritual father, Archbishop Chapu. Um, I just was texting with him the other day. I miss him immensely. Um, yeah, and all those men who have been who have been like fathers to me, and especially Father Jack Custer, who doesn't listen, um, was my kind of my my mentor in uh, in seminary. And, uh, and yeah, the rest of the companions that have been such an impact on me and witness to good priestly fatherhood. Yeah, thanks to you guys, too. That's funny you say that. I think all of the fathers in my life don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to shout outs, but <laughs> to all of you. Uh, but then there's a couple people we owe quick thanks to. Uh, Stephanie Bielo, the DeSalis family dropped off another bottle of whiskey in Rome. Nice. Uh, Father Daniel Eusterman got it. I doubt it will be... <laughs> uh, still be there when I, by the time I come back in October but thank you that was like a huge generous thing there's a, a nurse at um, I believe she's a nurse maybe nurse pres- practitioner I'm not sure Tracy O'Hara you're at Craig Hospital and you listen to the podcast and you are amazing you're taking great care of my father nice. so that was really a great uh, great surprise to meet her and my dad said you better give her a shout out but he put some funny words he's kind of like drunk texting us all the time so ask a tech ask a guardian angel is what he said i i have no idea what that means but he's only five weeks out from a stroke so he's doing pretty good and then lastly i walked into the companion's house and uh there was a group playing monopoly with luke you know luke at yeah. the companion's house and this guy jeremy orton who's a uh, naval officer from buffalo new york he was uh, pretty excited to, to meet me, and it was just great to meet a, a good podcast listener. Nice. And uh, so to them, and then, of course, to Barb and Steve Golder, who I had lunch with today, and Amy and Laurel, they're all traveling to Telluride right now. But I just want to put a plug in. Barb wrote this book called Dying for Revenge, and it's a murder mystery. Now, the cover is a little bit funny. It looks like a romance novel, so it was sitting by my bed while we did the okay. annual purge, and the guys were like, what are you reading? And I was like, I swear, it's like amazing. <laughs> But you know how your friends are like, oh, my friend's friend wrote this book. Right. And you're like, okay, that's cute. Right. But this was incredible. Right. If you like Murder Mystery, I was blown away. There's a character, Father Matt, in it. Great portrayal of a uh, priest. And uh, so I just highly recommend, if you're looking to kind of do a little grassroots um, support of an author who's just you know, out there doing it, yeah. Catholic. And she's kind of communicating the Catholic vision in a way that's, I think, really profound. It's not just kind of cookie cutter it's it's she's doing something really deep there and it's a fantastic novel so okay. dying for revenge by barbara golder highly recommended beautiful all right okay catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com thanks for listening to this one happy father's day coming up and uh no we'll see you next week